0: Welcome to the Going Beyond Podcast. I'm Randy Zinn. I'm an entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and the founder of the Going Beyond Movement. I'm constantly exploring how individuals can make the most impact on a daily basis. And here's what I've learned. Your life is part of the change we want to see in the world. Your life is the movement. The work you do is that drop that causes that ripple effect of positivity. Let today's episode be part of your daily contribution toward change, the investment you make in yourself. Let it be the fuel you need to go beyond. If you're enjoying the Going Beyond podcast, consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. When you subscribe, our weekly episode arrives right onto your device on whichever platform you've subscribed from. We also appreciate five-star ratings and reviews. Thanks so much for your support, friends. We're so glad you're hanging with us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode on the Going Beyond podcast. Thrilled that you're here with me today. I'm joined by a new friend. I can tell we're already friends and someone who I'm... Privileged enough to spend a lot of quality time with this month, both here on the podcast for our one to one conversation, as well as if you didn't get a chance to tune in to our virtual event on Going Beyond Your Brand. Our guest today, Naisha Williams, is one of our panelists. So, because this episode is likely going live after that event. I'm kind of speaking in the past, present, and future all at the same time. But whenever this airs, if you didn't get a chance to check her out on our live virtual event that you can still listen to, head over to the website and take a listen. So today's topic of conversation is going to be forgiveness. That's a huge... And it's one that we spend a lot of time contemplating what it means, how it fits into our lives, how it can serve us, where maybe it doesn't serve us. I find sometimes there's a lot of confusion about what forgiveness actually means, but we're in a time in our world right now where we're reckoning with some really, really, really big challenges and some huge things. And we're being faced with our own demons over and over and over again, as well as so many opportunities for growth and improvement. And forgiveness is just at the heart of so much of that. So Naisha has a very long and beautiful bio. I'm going to encapsulate it a little bit. She's also done a lot of really cool things that I have a feeling are going to kind of fold their way into this conversation, but because of the new work that she's really diving into with her new book called Forgiveness, Overcoming Emotional Trauma, Heal Relationships, and Find Inner Peace in just eight simple steps, as well as a course that she's launching around embracing forgiveness in your life, we decided that for today's conversation, we're going to really... Hold space for the topic of forgiveness. So, I'm going to give you a, a little intro to who Naisha is, and then we're going to say, Hey, and we're going to get into this. So, Naisha is a wholesome growth strategist at Serenity and Oasis. She's an accomplished author. This is her second book coming out. So, when you Google her, you're going to see two books. Naisha is a student at Harvard Business School, she's a business influencer, she is a coach. She is a cheerleader for women who are going through the journey of embracing self and support systems. She's done like a million things, and it's so hard to kind of give the spirit of an amazing person in an intro, but let's just say that her goal in life is to help women survive, heal, and thrive, which I share with her. So she has a ton of sharing to do. She's an unapologetic truth teller, which Uh, Let's face it, that's what we do here on the podcast. So that's perfect. And she recently relocated from L.A. to Atlanta, um, which is kind of cool and exciting. And we're wishing her well in that change, in that shift with her husband and her three children. So, Naisha, I'm thrilled you're here. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: I am too. You know, I always feel like the conversations that come onto this show – one, I always follow my instinct with the people I need to have on here. Like I might see a person on Instagram. I might see a person presenting at an event that I'm interested in. And like, I always kind of follow my instinct of like, I need to talk to that person. or one of those people. And it always feels like a, such a gift to kind of record a conversation, but have a chance to like really connect with somebody who's new in my life and then share that getting to know with my listeners. So I'm really
1: excited that you're here. So when you, well, Going Beyond originally reached out for me to be a guest on the podcast, I'm like, wait a minute. I need to do more research because I too believe in perfect alignment. And if the mission did not resonate, I'm like, yeah, this wouldn't work. But the truth telling and the honesty and, you know, just making sure that we had a platform for women. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) It's, It's my hope that this
0: idea of, you know, going beyond in your life and how that links to this level of honest, vulnerable truth-telling, and then how that kind of moves into building that skill for people. It's my hope that that really becomes like even more of a topic of understanding, like we need to do this more. I think part of the problems we're having right now in our culture and our country is because there has just been such missed opportunity for honesty and truth-telling and vulnerability. And so there's just so much opposition as a result.
1: Right. I totally agree. So, my background is in therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I was reading an article in Psychology Today, maybe about 2015. And the article spoke about how often Americans lie. And it said that we lie at least 11 times a week. I'm like, okay, let me debunk this. Like, let me see if I'm really lying 11 times a week. And I was. Like, I definitely. Without a doubt. Does that include lying to yourself? Yes, it does. Okay. okay. And that's where most of my lies were, right? Lying to myself about either how I wanted to live my life, how happy I was, how my relationship was. And that really set the tone for my brand.
0: Okay. That's really fascinating. All right. Let's go back, Naisha, because let's be honest. Mm-hmm. You don't start a company or a brand like, I'll put us together, like we have, if you don't have some stories of your own to tell. I mean, to be like the person that wants to be vulnerable and wants to truth tell and inspire other people to do it, it's because you yourself have seen its healing power. So tell us like where this came from for you and like what motivated you to go into this challenging but really powerful work.
1: So in the very beginning, let's go back to around – 17, right? I was 17 years old. I delivered my first daughter. I was a teen mom. I lived on my own. So everything was really about me and my daughter. So understanding the struggles of life, I experienced it. And I believe that I was really honest with myself then, but something happened around the age of 22, 23. And that was when I was pregnant with my second child, which was my son, and I lost him. And I had to bury him. And that changed my life completely. Just going through the pregnancy, um, about being honest about my health and my relationship with my husband, you know, during that time, I just kept lying and not even understanding what that meant for me on a spiritual realm and physically. So I delivered my son. At 23, I buried him, and that was probably the beginning of me lying. Right after the funeral, it was just like, I'm okay, I'm fine, everything's great, and that just perpetuated the cycle of not being honest with what really made me happy. And that continued on until about... 2015, I had moved to LA, I was working in Beverly Hills, excuse me, I was getting paid the most I've ever got paid in my life, you would think that I was just so happy, you know, I was getting all this money, I had this home, I had multiple cars, but I was so unhappy, like I was going to work and not being myself, and my boss walked up to my desk, and he just was like screaming and pointing in my face, it was just a mess, and I'm like, you know what? I don't normally take this. Why am I taking this for so long? And I picked up and I left. I walked away. I went home and I meditated for two weeks. Those two weeks was when I wrote my first book, her stories, her history told through the eyes of her true self. And that was when I was ready to like face my truth and be honest about how unhappy I was. And just going into that closet and pulling out those skeletons, I started to realize like, oh, I feel lighter. You know, my shoulders doesn't feel as heavier. You know, I'm actually experiencing some sort of joy, and because of that, I'm like, all right, I'm almost addicted to the idea of keeping myself happy. And why not share that? When I understood that transition and seeing the difference in my life, why not share it with other women?
0: Yeah. Why do you think at the time for you and also for women who may be like really resonating with like the burying of their unhappiness, right. um, what is it that keeps us in that place? Is it like that mixture of just survival, keeping it going being told that getting honest and getting
1: vulnerable isn't something a woman does. Like what's the thing? There's so many different things. I think for me and a lot of women that I come across, like with my clients or if I'm out speaking to women about living in their truth, someone told them that their voice didn't matter. Someone stripped their voice from, you know, eons ago, years ago, whether that was in childhood with their parents or whether it was in their new relationship. I know for me, with my relationship, I didn't understand what a woman was or what a wife was. So I thought my submissiveness was me to be, you know, being more silent and allowing my husband to be the quote-unquote head of the house and not realizing the power of the neck, right? Not realizing my power as well. So my voice just began to become more stifled because I gave someone else power over my life. And I think that we do that a lot with women Especially if we're having children, it's like, you know, we begin to strip our own identity because we got to show up as mom or we have to show up as wife or we have to show up as, you know, partner in business, realizing that we're losing our true self. So it was just like, yeah, who am I? Who was I before I became a mother? Who was I before I became a wife? What does that look like? How does that feel? That's where I need to tap back into.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, my
1: experience with spending
0: time with women, because I've also been in the spaces of creating circles and retreats. And so often I find, uh, and I always come back to simplicity, it's like the simple act of being heard and of speaking out what was lost is like, is probably the most profound act that can happen. And that's where, you know, the steps of next just start to reveal themselves. It's like the holding on is the trap in so many ways.
1: Mm -hmm. I agree. And I recently put up a post on Instagram about forgiveness, right? And people feeling like it's so complex, but that's only until we realize how to make it think about it in the most simplest form. Like you said, like it's really simple. The things that we want to achieve is really simple. Once we just break it down to, you know, the smallest thing and that's doing. Okay. So, let's
0: go there. <laughs> so because we, so much of your work right now, we could spend so much time talking about all the work you've done, but let's get into what are you doing? Let's right. talk your decision to go toward forgiveness
1: Mm -hmm. what
0: led you there? And then like walk us through some of these, you know, we don't want you to give away the
1: whole thing, Naisha, but like give us some of what this is. Okay. So let me tell you. So when I wrote my first book, right, Her Stories, it was released and a lot of my family did not receive it well. Now, this is my truth, right? This is me being honest with what I experienced and what I liked, but They didn't like it because it was too brutally honest. But what I learned was the people that were saying that they didn't like it also didn't read it. It was just like word of mouth, like, hey, she's talking about this. or hey, you know, she said this. And we think you shouldn't speak to her because of that. All right. Now, fast forward. My grandmother, my paternal grandmother called me on the phone and she said, because you wrote this book, I never want to speak to you again. I don't want to talk to you. You know, I'm disappointed in you. Keep in mind, she never read it. And I'm like, okay. So that was the end of the conversation. I never spoke to her again. Most of that family, we never talked again. It was just like in an uproar. So I have my father who I barely had a relationship with, his mother called me and said she wanted to end the relationship, the little relationship that we did have. And I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? You know, what happens after I tell my truth and other people do not agree? Do I continue on and help the ones who are ready? Or do I go back to not using my voice? I continued on and and became more expressive. And I started to see the other people seeing the beauty in that and gravitated to me. Here I am now My grandmother reached out to me two years ago and she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And I flew to New Jersey and I'm like, look, I don't, regardless of whatever we went through, I wanna make sure that I show up for you. No shoulda, coulda, woulda's. This is what I wanna do. Keep that on a back burner. And that was the beginning of the ultimate forgiveness for me. Like, I forgive you for leaving me, I forgive you for, you know, turning your back on me and not even, Taking the time to understand what it was when I wrote this book, but now I want to just show up for you at this moment. And what I learned was she was broken when she called me. What I learned was she never read the book. What I learned was she had regrets, but didn't know how to express herself when it came to these regrets. And before she transitioned, we had the best relationship. Like, she wouldn't allow nurses to come in her room without speaking to me. She wouldn't allow, like, other relatives. Like, it was beautiful. And I realized if I would have held on to that pain and hurt and did not make that step to forgiveness, I would have lost out on a lot. So, you know, that was the ultimate stage of forgiveness for me. I mean, but I can, there's so many things. My relationship with my mother was very flawed. She had me at the age of 14. So we basically grew up together. Mm-hmm. You know, my father left my life. You know, I didn't grow up with a dad. He's back into my life now. We are extremely happy. We speak like every other day. And this is the result of taking a step to forgiveness.
0: Wow. And so powerful.
1: Thank you. And it's really important, you know, in a post that I was right, I spoke about earlier was if we choose to not forgive because we believe that that is the only thing we have, right, for justice, that is the only thing we have to seek revenge, that is the only thing we have to gain control over the particular situation. But forgiveness is not the gift to the culprit, right? It's the gift to yourself. So once you realize that, that you're doing this act of a forgiveness to make sure you're good and you're whole, things will change.
0: Yeah, it's
1: the greatest
0: work you can do. <laughs> right. I love your story because I think what's powerful about it is anyone listening to it can imagine how massive a step that was for you. I mean, these aren't small moves. Right. I think we can all resonate in our own families. like we can just start with family. We can resonate with our own stories about ways in which our closest relatives may have let us down or not seen us for who we are or not shown up when they should have. So we all have those stories and we can all ask ourselves, what can I do to free myself from that holding on? And what gifts might come on the other side of that?
1: Right. Totally, totally. Ooh, the what can I do to free myself is understanding that, I think for me, was understanding that this burden no longer belongs to me. Like, what is the purpose? Why am I holding on to this anger or this rage or this pain? What is the point? And when you really think about it, most times it's because of the other person. You're holding on to it because you feel like you need to do this because that person, or that culprit was the reason why. but they are living their lives, right? <laughs> They're perfectly fine. We're holding on to this shit like, because you did this, I'm going to dislike you for the rest of my life," or "I'm not going to speak to you for the rest of my life." And don't get me wrong, when it comes to forgiveness, a lot of times people choose not to forgive because they believe that once you forgive, you have to open those doors again. You can simultaneously love someone while walking away. So I can forgive you, but still create my boundary. But it's just let go so you can see clearer, basically. And a lot of times by holding on, most times by holding on, we can't even see what we have in front of us. That's a gift because we're still clouded by whatever the tragedy or trauma was. Mm. Can you give us a sense, Naisha? Uh,
0: You know, you say in your book and your work that there's these eight steps
1: Mm -hmm. Again,
0: I don't want you to give it all away, but like, just give us a sense of some of the steps that you encourage people to step through in order to that ability.
1: I would say one of the steps is search for the truth. And by searching for the truth, we have to decipher whether or not it was something that the culprit did to us intentionally, knowing like, if I do this, I will hurt Naisha. Or if it was our unrealistic expectations that we set on this relationship, not looking at the signs, and then something fell out from there. And a lot of times people don't like that because we got to hold ourselves accountable, right? Who wants to hold themselves accountable when it's easier to deflect, when it's easier to point the finger at someone else and allowing them to be the cause, But we play a part in it. We play a role in it. So searching for the truth is one of the biggest ones. I think the second would be happening to empathy. Do you really want to be empathetic when it comes to someone else that caused you pain? But when we do that, when we step outside of ourselves and ask, you know, so-and-so, what if I was in this particular situation? Would I have done it the same way? Would I have done it differently? And if I would have done it differently, why? The book really has you searching in, tapping inward, not only to understand your role that you play, but how you can be the change maker, you know, how you can be that agent and really setting the tone for the newfound relationship, whether you want to continue it with this person or walk into another relationship and it's similar and it has same patterns and how you can make sure you say like, all right, here are my non-negotiables Or here's what I refuse to deal with anymore because of your past experience.
0: Mm, Yes. You know, it's interesting. The word that keeps coming up for me, which is more of like the action experience of somebody who is not in forgiveness Mm -hmm. is blame. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, I'm thinking, I mean, obviously this episode will air and we're going to be like real close to the election. Right. Right. I'm thinking about some of the things that we're witnessing that can feel, you know, external to us, like, a presidential election, crazy debates, all this fired up activity and accusations. And you know, it's funny, at the end of the day, I think the thing we all really need to own is that everything that we're witnessing out there is a reflection of things in here inside of us. We're not separate. And I don't care if you're conservative, you're a liberal. Like These are all just terms and titles. We're all part of the blame game and of the othering. That, you know, we have done over and over and over and over. And we just watch it play out on a stage, don't we?
1: Right. To be honest, I can't entertain or even be amongst energy like that. Like if I feel like the point is being missed or it's too much of shit that doesn't make sense, I have to remove myself and just focus on the goal at hand. And whatever that goal is, that's what I focus on. I believe... You know, I have to play my part in it, but the riffraff, the extraness, I can't, I refuse to. It's such a distraction. Mm-hmm. And I think
0: that's where I personally feel so much frustration, but I know I'm not the only one. Like you said, the riffraff and the extra makes me so angry because it's like there is work to be done. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the inner work we're talking about and then how that reflects out into the world. It is one. Right. I agree 1,000%. It is one. I'd love to dive into forgiveness and how it plays out in the critical, critical work and voice of what is happening right now in social justice in this country. Mm. There is so much to understand. I'm doing my damnedest to like really go deeper and deeper and deeper every day. And it's both something I care about on the big level. It's something I live in my home. And it's complex to talk about because there's so many layers. Right. I Similar to what you were just suggesting in terms of the topic of forgiveness and how we have to play with empathy, which is like, where can I see where another person may be having an experience right now? Right. And then where can I turn that around and look at myself and say, where am I accountable? It's like the deepest, most delicate work. But I have a sense that some of the work that you're doing has some really powerful and important tools that can be used in these contexts that are so up for us as a culture right now.
1: Right. So when it comes to social justice, right, and then speaking about forgiveness, that is really, really touchy. It is. It's really touchy because there's so much anger there's so much pain and you know let's take black lives matter right for instance a lot of people don't want to hear about forgiving anything it's like i've dealt with this for so long not only am i dealing with this my grandmother dealt with that her grandmother or her father or her grandfather you know there's levels and like you said layers to the pain so When you talk about forgiveness on the surface level, no one wants to hear that. And I totally understand that. I do think that when it comes to social justice, empathy would be really important because we do need to step outside of ourselves. We do need to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, not to the point where we forget how we feel, but it plays a major part to step into the world of others to understand how they feel based off of what they were taught and what their experiences were, so we can have a conversation. And then by doing, tapping into empathy and then these other steps of forgiveness, then we can get there. But just on a surface level, just saying, hey, you need to forgive, nobody wants to hear that.
0: No. But also, to be clear, you can't forgive unless reality has been aired out like laundry laundry has to like has to come out and I think like personally think that's part of what's happening right now where
1: like things are finally being said. but that can also be like a backlash because it needs to be contained in a sense or it needs to be in a safe space where both parties are respectful and willing to be interactive because when you're letting out all of this dirty laundry, it can be triggering for the people who are experiencing the pain. So it was like, Oh, you know, I thought I was okay with that. I thought I was living through that, but you just reminded me of what either my ancestors have been going through or what I went through two weeks ago. Exactly. So, you know, creating safe spaces You know, having podcasts is when you can bring people on and talk about, you know, the issues from both spectrums, right? That's how you contribute to change. But when it's just out there. mm
0: -hmm. No, I agree with you, which is why we need, well, so let me make my statement. (laughs) My statement is that, and this is like a little bit of like a preview into some of the work that I feel really called to go into because I think we're all born souls born into a body, right? I don't think who we're born as, the family we're born into, the things that are huge and profound in our life that happened to us. I don't think any of it is an accident, actually. I think it's all part of the fabric of who we become on this planet and the work that we're meant to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's like my blanket statement to start. So the fact that you, Naisha, are born a woman of color to a mother who was 14, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, has been all part of this fabric that creates this beautiful tapestry. You, yes, and the work you're doing in the world to help people. Similarly, me, right? My story is complex in a totally different way. You know, I'm born not a woman of color. I'm born a Jewish woman. I'm born to a very, very entrepreneurial family. I had this very blessed youth. And then... Shit went down in my 20s. I lost my dad in a plane crash one day, gone. And his whole life and world falls into my hands. I know nothing. I'm vulnerable. I'm frightened. And it's taken, it'll be almost 15 years. And I've had to elevate myself and understand through so much pain and loss and deceit and you name it. Right. So I look at these layers of how we come into who we are and then why we're broken open to help people. And like where the empathy comes from. And so, first and foremost, I really encourage people to feel the power of their story, which I think goes to your book one, her story. Like, what is your story? Like, why are you you? Mm -hmm. And how does that infiltrate the work that you're doing in the world? How does that inspire it? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that I think like whatever impact we're meant to have in the world is directly connected to our reality. So I look now at this next phase of my life, being married to a person of color, having mixed kids who are both black and Jewish, looking at where my pain has come from, from my history and my ancestry. And I think to myself, What's my work in the world? Like, why is this my picture at this moment in time? Right. It's a lot to contemplate. Now I'm going to go back to my big picture statement, and then I want to hear what you have to say. Okay. My big picture statement is that, unfortunately, populations in our country that are not of color, we are very, very weak when it comes to our empathy, our bravery, and our ability to sit in pain and be with it. Mm -hmm. I think we're weak. And so what you're talking about, about creating safe spaces for that laundry to air and for that pain to come out and for, you know, two sides, whoever those sides are, to hear each other, to resonate, to listen, to ultimately move towards something that could look like forgiveness. I think it only happens when parties are able to hold that level of space. And it's not easy. Mm. So this is my like thesis about the work that we need to do. Right. A whole of those containers. It doesn't just exist by itself.
1: I agree. I agree in a sense. So my thing is, if you say you want to create change, right, you have to do that by any means necessary. True. If it's hurtful, if it brings up, You know, things inside of you that you did not want to be brought up or you didn't want to face or deal with. If you say you want to create change, you have to go through it. You have to. You have to because what's more important, you playing it safe or you creating a change? And if you want to play it safe, then you're going to stay in your space. If you want to create change, you're going to go out there into the wilderness not knowing what the hell to expect. But if you say that's what you want, that's what you go get. So, When it comes to, you know, people that are not of color, when it's like, you know, we're weak, or, you know, we don't know how to deal with pain, or it's too much, the opposing side can say the same thing. But what do you want to happen? Do you want the change? Because if you want the change, go out there and experience the pain. And that's just it. That's how I feel about it. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Because... I come across women who, like at these events that I have when it comes to like truth telling, they go in and they say they want to feel better, right? But when it's time to go through the motions, and before you feel better, it's like, oh no, not this. Yeah, that's that. Right. Like it's like, ah, you know. Right. But get on that roller coaster, girl. Get on it. You know, like take that ride. Yes,
0: exactly. And look, I'm not saying this judgmentally. Like I'm saying looking myself in the mirror. No, 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 right. You know, and saying that there's been years where my partner has looked at me and been like, my pain is this, 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 and me not even knowing how to handle what it felt like to hear that. And then therefore him not feeling validated and safe in my ability to just simply witness him. Right. It's gotten better, a lot better, but it's come from the choice. It's come from the choice. Like I want more. I want change. I want better. Right. Let me go in.
1: Right. I get it. So let me take you to my seventh grade self, right? I was 12 years old. I lived in South Carolina and my best friend was a white girl, right? Best friend in the entire world. I was like, I loved her to death. Her stepfather was Trinidadian. He was from Trinidad and he did not want her to be friends with me because how he viewed people of color. Of course we can go into like self-hatred and all of that stuff and it crushed me that we had to start sneaking to be friends. So my image of people who were non-color or people who was not of color definitely changed it shifted I didn't trust them anymore I felt like they didn't stand up for me they didn't have a voice so I intentionally worked my way around them because I felt like it represented someone who wasn't a part of my team like I felt if my mom said you cannot hang around this person I would have said no mom What you mean I can't hang around this person? I love her, she loves me, she makes me happy. That's how I viewed things. And because that didn't happen on the other end, that screwed my thought. So for years, I'm like, I don't wanna be around it. I've been hurt by this image, you know, I don't trust it. But the more work I did on myself, you know, it allowed me to show up for everyone because I started to see and feel the soul of the person versus how the person looked on the outside, so.
0: No, that's powerful. I think it's a wonderful sharing because it just goes to show how those moments begin to shape our thinking and how we relate to others, either unbeknownst to ourselves or as we become more conscious of it. Yeah, no, I feel you. And it's, you know, admittedly, it's a scary space to step into for all of us who want to be like having more of these conversations consistently, who want to step into it, who want to show the world that we can be vulnerable and not have it all figured out and not be perfect. I think the perfect thing is really tough because this is not, these are not dynamics that are going to be perfect. Right. It's going to be real, you hope. Real, painful, emotional, beautiful, maybe.
1: Right. Perfect? Nah. No, 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 no. Not at all. And I think if we stop giving it a look before arriving there, that will play a major part. Because we think when we think about forgiveness, when we think about healing, when we think of change, it's like it has a look. And if it doesn't look like that, it's like, all right, we're either gonna stop or we don't want to be a part of it. But just flowing. Just going there and just doing your part, however that looks, that's when the change starts to happen. You know, we can't place like, all right, if we don't save five people, then we didn't do the work. Saving that one person goes to save the five people. They can save four others. You understand what I'm saying? So just removing the idea of how things should look when it comes to the transition or the shift will play a major part in it actually happening and not being you know, inhibited.
0: I love that. We could go on and on, <laughs> And we will. Right. And there's so much more to come and so much more to share. We might just need to do part two. Let's just look at it. Let's just call it that. But this is very powerful. And I think like, what I just really want our listeners to hold on to is that these are the kinds of deep, soulful topics that they just need to be had and they need to be had by women of varied backgrounds who come from different experiences, who have touched different things and can tell stories to one another. The power of storytelling is everything. And that's why I love doing this. And yeah. I know why you love doing what you do. Yes. <laughs> but yes. So I challenge all of you listening today to really ask yourself, What are the moments in your life that might have turned you, your perspectives in one direction or another? Where are the places that you need to like let go as Naisha just beautifully illustrated of like some idea of what this perfect result would look like. And instead step into what you just know you need to step into without that attachment to the result. That's where the beauty is.
1: Right. I agree.
0: 1,000%. 1,000%. So before we say goodbye, Naisha... Please tell us where to find you, where to hang out with you, where to find this course of all about forgiveness, the book, all the important things.
1: Okay, so if you want to hang out with me, you can follow me on all social media platforms, and the handles are my first name, Naisha N Y E E S H A and D for diva. So it's Naisha D. (laughs) My website is naishawilliams.com. You'll find the course there, naishawilliams.com. You can find both of my books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, every platform that sells books, physical books. I'm there. Oh, we also do, we have a digital version for the forgiveness. So if you don't want to purchase a physical, just swipe up. We can do the digital as well.
0: Amazing. And your course, is that going to be sold
1: on your website? Yes, the Forgiveness Academy would be on my website, naishawilliams.com. As soon as you arrive to naishawilliams.com, it'll have the pop-up for you to go straight to the e-course, and you can sign up there. It's amazing. Like, if you're ready to do the work, it's amazing.
0: feeling a lot of people hanging out with me are ready to do the work like that sense of my awesome my listeners so let's do this everybody all right thank you naisha for being you and for all this powerful work you're doing in the world i'm so glad that you got to hang out with me today thank you for having me sending you all the love and light yeah right back to you and all of you who tuned in thank you thank you share this conversation with friends who are needing some forgiveness needing to lean into forgiveness. Um, And if you enjoyed this conversation, head over to Apple iTunes or wherever it is that you listen and give this episode some love. Give the podcast some love. Give it some stars, some ratings. This is helpful. And if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. Okay, guys, have a great day. Thanks.